Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. My name is Anthony Kendall, and this is my wonderful, amazing wife, Erin Kendall, and I'm the pastor of Connect Church. We are so excited to announce the launch of Connect Church on September 30th at 10 a.m. I'm so excited about this morning, and this has been a three-year prayer equity built into today. For many of you, you have taken the past few months and given so much to see God birth the church on this morning at this time. Every day we're, we are truly seeing God's word. I should have died two and a half years ago, but here I stand. And um, here I stand. I'm just expecting big things from God and how he's gonna use me. Don't take life for granted. And the Holy Spirit. Let's do this together this morning. Let's just celebrate the Lord. And so thankful for our team leading us out. Welcome uh, to Connect Church. And as we continue the work today uh, to connect everyone we can to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are so glad that you are here, that together we get to make much of Jesus and to the visitors. We are so glad that you are here today. I thank you for being a part of Connect Church. And I just do want to say this. In light of events last night, it's still great to be a Tennessee ball, even when it hurts just a little, little bit this morning. Hey, today is Commitment Sunday. After four weeks of praying together, recognizing it is time for Connect Church to build our future home, recognizing it's time to launch Connect Christian Academy in the life of our community, today is the big next step in that process. Now, if you're visiting with us today, again, we are so glad that you are here. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot about vision and a lot about pledges. But I'm going to ask visitors today to make the biggest pledge of all. And that is to pray for Connect Church. To pledge your prayers today. I, I want to I encourage you that today is a moment even for visitors. That no matter what church you have been to, you come from, or you are going back to, that today's a day to be excited. Excited that God is moving in so many of His churches like ours and yours on this Sunday. You see, it was four weeks ago that we shared with you the preliminary site plan and estimates of cost for the construction of our new home. We ask you to join us in 28 days of a prayer, to drive out on the land and to pray out there over the land, to sit down at the kitchen table with your family and to, to pray through just what it was that God would have you invest in phase two of our five-year vision. A, a vision, let me remind you, that extends from our neighborhoods to the very nation. A vision that at its heart seeks and desires that everyone, that all generations may come to know Jesus, as Psalm 
78 teaches. What we have in front of us, church, is a $15 million elephant, a large price tag for our new home. But as I reminded you four weeks ago, and how is it that you eat an elephant, you do so one bite at a time? And so today we gather in part to take a lot of bites out of this elephant together, understanding this, that, that no one can do everything but everyone can do something. Back in July, we shared with you the God story behind our land purchase we made as a church. And, and today, just one mile from here, and we own 25 beautiful acres of farmland. It's just absolutely the best land around. A mile from Dollywood, a mile from here. And here's one of the greatest parts of that God story, and that is this. That through your generosity, we purchased that land completely debt-free. I'm going to tell you, that is a God story this day and age, and if you've ever priced land. And my favorite part is that God used your generosity, our generosity, to do it. My father-in-law shared with me a quote this past week that I thought was very fitting from today. He heard it from another pastor. And here's that quote, and I'm going to read through it a couple of times. It says this, if you don't see it before you can see it, and you'll never see it. Ready? If you don't see it before you can see it, you will never see it. Church, I want you to hear me. I can see it. I can see it today. I see us gathered together on Sunday mornings out on our land in our, our new home worshiping and making much of Jesus together. In fact, I was at the land at five-something this morning, and it was completely dark, and the stars were shining bright in the sky, and just parked where, where this pulpit one day will be in the life of that new building, and I just sat there, and I prayed over it, and, and even though it was a very dark morning, I could see it this morning. I could see us in our new home. You know, in fact, I see men and women and boys and girls coming to faith in Jesus and being saved. Last week, we celebrated our 100th and 101st baptism this year alone in Connect Church. And I, I see thousands more people taking that next step of faith in baptism because Jesus has saved them and given them new life. This past Wednesday night, I had the joy of joining over 130 students out on the land. Of our students out on the land as we had a bonfire and we worshiped the Lord together there and I'm gonna tell you what's really wonderful about this night is that as the gospel was shared at the end over eight students from the generation that is the most lost generation in American history eight students gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus this past Wednesday night but isn't that good and while I watched all of this unfold I, I was reminded these are the first eight salvations that have taken place out of this land. That already the generations are coming to know Jesus on the land. You see, I see disciples being made, families growing together in their faith. I see marriages redeemed and restored, the unchurched and the de church finding a home. I see lost people crossing from death to life in Jesus. I see the hurting finding their healing in Him. I see those who struggle with mental health issues finding peace from not only the maker but the renewer of their minds. 
I see the lonely being loved by the bride of Christ. I see the widowed and the widower being seen and cared for by the church. I see children and individuals with special needs in their families worshiping the Lord together. I see believers carrying each other's burdens and bringing each other to Jesus in prayer. I see the addict finding freedom. Church, I can see it. Can you see it? I also see children and students from all over our area attending Connect Christian Academy. You see, as we build our new home, and here's some of the site plan, and, and here is some of what our new building will offer. And I see students attending what will be Connect Christian Academy receiving a world-class education built upon a Christian worldview, offering excellence in academics and athletics and the arts. I see us sending our graduates into our neighborhoods, to the nations, into the workforce, on college campuses, and into the uh, military. I see us sending them as warriors for the kingdom of God, armed with the gospel, wielding truth, and motivated by love, advancing his kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. Church, I, I see it. Can you see it? I, I love our new land. Land that for generations was used to harvest wheat. In fact, what I have here is an ever more brittle token, the very last of the wheat harvest that will be taken on the land. This is the last of it. Why? Because you see, God has seen fit for a, a different harvest, a a new harvest from that land, a harvest of souls, a, a harvest of Jesus' followers to come from the land. Church, I see it. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary who brought the gospel to so many of the Chinese in the, late, in the mid to late 1800s. Um, he was a man who could see God at work. And he once said this about the stages of any great work of God. He said there's three stages any great work of God the first stage is it's impossible the second stage that it is difficult and the third stage it is done it is done right now there's a large price tag in front of us and this desire for us to do this debt free it might seem impossible, but remember, impossible is the stage upon which God displays His glory and His might. I've heard it said this way from the great theologian by the name of Zach Bennett, who also is our worship pastor. He says this, that if it's God's will, it's God's bill. That's pretty good. God's will, it's God's bill, and God will use our generosity to take us from the impossible through the difficult to it being done. Today on Commitment Sunday, we're not just looking for some crowdfunding venture. Rather, a kingdom-fueled generosity that accomplishes the vision set before us. Now, one quick caveat here. If we're not careful, any conversations about resources, money, and possessions from the pulpit can be an offense, and I get it. But it's just, just going to happen that today... Somebody quit going to church 40 years ago because the preacher preached on money and it ticked them off, but you decided to show back up for the first time in 40 years today at church. And you know what? Here's what we're talking on today. Just so you know, we don't know how to plan it that well, okay? We just don't know how to plan it that good. Maybe, just maybe God can still 
use it. But you see, here's something I want to share with you about even the tendency of my own heart. When I'm greedy, scriptures, verses, or messages about my money and my possession, my resources, they're offensive. But when I find myself practicing biblical generosity, scriptures and verses and messages are then seen as an opportunity to worship the one whose generosity towards me in Christ can never be matched. Never be matched. Some of you might say, well, pastor, I still, man, I would really rather prefer you never talk about my money and my stuff. It's a tall order, my friend. You see, the guy I walk, or that I work for, he was never silent about it. In fact, 16 of 38 parables he shared had to deal with our money and our possessions. He spoke more about giving and generosity than he ever did heaven or hell. In the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with our money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on our money and our possession. It's a tall order. I would have to go out of my way to never preach about it, and that means this, that I would fail from preaching the Bible. I had to go out of my way because you know what reminded you? God cares about our money. God cares about our resources. God cares about our stuff. And part of the reason why I think he does so much is he knows full well that our money and possessions can be a blessing, but they can also be a curse. He knows that you can have money or money can have you. For the greedy, money is something that can be worshipped. But for the godly, our generosity serves as an act of worship to him. So for the next few moments... Let's take a walk on a construction site found in 1 Chronicles 29. As we walk this site together, we are witnessing what is one of the greatest building projects in all of Scripture. You can sense the excitement that's in the air. God is at work, and His Spirit is on the move. But we know this in 1 Chronicles 29, that King David, well, he's in his last days. By the end of the chapter, we are going to hear news that he has died. We know this, that in 1 Chronicles 28, that David had set his heart on building the temple or the house of God. And you know what God said to David? No. I'm going to task your son with the build. I'm going to task him with it. And yet David, with his heart set on the Lord and his affection for the Lord, turned to generosity to ensure that the house of the Lord would be built. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 10, David would look at Solomon and say, Consider now, where the Lord has chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. Hey, Solomon, be strong and do the work. Hey, church, I want you to hear me. God has chosen us for this task. And church, we must be strong. We must do the work. On in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, King David addresses the crowd gathered at the construction site that day. And let's dive into the conversation here. It says, King David addresses the crowd. My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, he is young and inexperienced. Can we stop there? Solomon's standing right next to him. Right, can you imagine him going, Dad, what? Dad, come on. Dad, come on, right? You're embarrassing me in front of the guy. And I, listen, just so you know, it is the calling of every father to embarrass their child at some point. So just, get, dads, go for it, right? 
And that's what King David does here. And I can stop for a moment. I love how Charles Swindoll writes on this very text. He says this, Can you see Solomon as he stands there? Can you feel his heart pounding in his throat? Inexperienced, untried, and there stands his battle-scarred father. After 40 record-making years as king, handing over the scepter of Israel and the plans for the temple of God, his bearded face was wrinkled with age, but those dark eyes were flashing with excitement. And you see, it's King David who loved his boy, and wanted to ensure that not only did he walk with God, but the King David's grandkids, that all generations to come had a place to worship God so that the generations may know him. David could see it. And he wanted Solomon to see it. He wanted the people to see it. And, to see it. and God would use David's generosity to help them see. Now, let me remind you, that the very reason we're here today was because someone before us could see it. Someone before us loved Jesus enough to make sure that we had the gospel. They funded and built buildings and churches where we could worship Jesus together and grow in our faith in Him. We must continue in that work and we will continue in that work. Church, I, I can see it. Can you see it? Well, David goes on in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 1 and says this, And the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. You see, the work, the task before them, the work and the task before us is great, because the God we serve is infinitely greater. Now, I want to be careful here, and I want you to hear me carefully. I am not equating our building project with Solomon's building of the temple of God. Our church will not house God, for God no longer resides in buildings made by men. But our new home is to house the people of God, His church. We are keenly aware yet again today that the church is not a building but a body. It's not a program but a people. It's not an organization. It's an organism made alive in Jesus Christ. We are building a new home for His church, not to serve as a sanctuary but as a sending ground with one mission that the generations may know him. And we are also keenly aware of this fact as Psalm 127 teaches us that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You see, we're going to see in the text here that on this construction site, just how God uses the generosity of his people in incredible ways because what we begin to see is that David's generosity stirs his affections for God. Look at this in verse number two. It says this, Now, for the house of my God, David says, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, and, and so on continues this material list. All the material committed by David to the Lord for this building project. And I love the texts that I had prepared. He didn't enter into this building project half-heartedly without counting the cost. That's why we took 28 days of prayer and seeking the Lord leading up to this commitment Sunday so we could count the cost and we could be ready to give. Verse 3 says this, that, that moreover, 
David says, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and of silver, the Bible says. Hey, can you just real quick note that this was not just another building project for David? King David's affections were stirred up because the project had to do with the one who David was most affectionate for in the Lord. So much so that he gave over and above what he had planned to give. Such generosity is seen too in the New Testament as Paul would write the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful David. God loves a cheerful you. And God loves a cheerful me. God loves a cheerful giver. And David is just that, this cheerful giver who gives bountifully and sacrificially even for a king. Not because he had to, but you ready? Because he gets to. One scholar noted that the gold alone mentioned here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 equal to 3.6 million ounces of gold. In today's gold market, with gold around $1,926 an ounce, the value of that gold that David committed to the Lord and to the building of the house of the Lord was just at $7 billion. Hey guys, that's a lot even for a king. I love what another David, our very own pastor David Husky said about the text. He said, you see, King David didn't give out of his wealth. He gave according to his wealth. And man, there's a big difference there. If you were to come to me after the service, go, Anthony, can I, can, I, can I get a dollar? Could you give me a dollar? I would do what every other man would do. You ready? I would say yes, go in my truck in the ashtray and pull out four quarters or something along those lines and give you a dollar. That's out of my wealth. That really doesn't hurt me. If you were to come up after service and go, Anthony, could you give me $1,000? Man, for my family of six, that's a, that's a chunk. One dollar I could give easily out of my wealth. A thousand dollars? And that's more according to it? Not to plan, it'd be a sacrifice for us. And for me to do so would have to be really a sacrificial generosity for you. You see, generosity isn't just giving out of what we have, but according to what we have. And King David... Gave according to his riches because his affections were set on the Lord. And it has been our prayer ever since two years ago we lost our five, or we launched our five-year vision. Ever since we told you about the land and the land was purchased. Ever since we launched phase two of our five-year vision. It has been our prayer that in all of this it would stir your affections for Jesus. As we see it stirring David's affections for the Lord. We also see this about David's generosity. You ready? It's contagious. Watch this in verse 5 and 6. It says this. That who then, David would say, is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. And then watch this. The leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work. They all offered willingly, the Bible says. We learn here that David's generosity truly is contagious. David was able to see it, 
to see this building project through and his generosity, his affection, his passion for God's help, his house helped others to see it as well. It is from the widow's might to the poorest man's penny to the millionaire's million. We see when people of God come together to worship, to serve, to practice generosity, the Lord uses it to help others see exactly what he's up to. Generosity is contagious. It's not all the time that you see a construction site turn into a worship service. But it does here in 1 Chronicles 29. Look at this in verse number 9. And then the people rejoiced. Hey, when was the last time you got a bunch of construction workers together on site and saw anything but complaining and fussing? You ever built anything? Man, can it be a headache? And yet we walk on this construction site today and worship is taking place for they had offered willingly. There's a second time we see that passage. Because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly. There's a third time now we've used that phrase to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And how is he able to rejoice when it cost him so much? Because David's generosity came willingly. Not begrudgingly. Notice the phrasing offered willingly used numerous times in the chapter. I think it was important for the Holy Spirit to make sure that we knew David, and that we knew that the people that gave so willingly, that they weren't manipulated, that they weren't under compulsion to give or forced to give anything. By the way, when that happens, it's no longer generosity, it's robbery. But the phrase offered willingly in the Hebrew is nadab. It describes the devotion of a person or property completely to the Lord. It's an act in the Hebrew of both love and devotion to Him. You see, generosity is not just giving money to the Lord, but it's giving your life to Him. David did, and willingly gave of his money, his resources, his stuff, to see that the Lord's house was built so that the generations would know him. Catch this prayer of David here. Watch this. As his generosity came willingly and not begrudgingly. In verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Look at this language here he uses. Both riches and honor come from you. You know what this isn't David saying? He's not saying, hey, people, look at my, well, look at what my hands have done. Rather, he's saying, look at what has come from his hands. It's not David saying, hey, look at the work I've accomplished. But look at the work that God has done. It's not, hey, look at what I did. But look at what the Lord did. Every time Aaron and I give, whether it's the first 11% each month of what we bring in, or it's the above and beyond giving that we're committed to for the next two years towards our our phase two of our five-year vision. Every time we practice generosity, Aaron, myself, and the kids, what we're doing is we're, we're preaching to And saying to our money, we have you. You don't have us. It's an act of worship. 
letting the Lord know in a tangible way that we know it all comes from Him. That all of it is His. In fact, that we are His. Verse 13, finishing out this prayer. Now therefore, our God, David prays, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Who am I and who are my people? I wish we should be able to offer so willingly as this. And again, for all things come from you. You see, generosity is God's mechanism of assuring that you and I know that all things come from him. God used David's generosity to stir his affections for the Lord. His generosity was contagious, and it came willingly. And so what seemed impossible to build the house of the Lord became difficult, and through the people's generosity, the moving of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit, it was done. I can see it, church. I can see it. Can you see it? After we shared the news about the land with you guys, and after we had purchased the land, I got a phone call from a church member, a man who lives by himself and no immediate family. He said, Pastor Anthony, I've got something to give you. Would you come by the house? I said, you know what? Let's, Let's put that on the calendar. So I drove by his house and When I walked in, he was sitting there in his chair. And he had this in his hands. He said, I want to give this to you in the church. I said, okay. I opened it. And it was his estate plan. Not just some of it. He said, Pastor Anthony, I want to give Connect Church all of my estate when I die. And I went, what? He, he said, I had my attorneys draw this up and the house, the car, all my accounts, and I want to give to the church. And he began to cry. He began to really talk about seeing how God was going to use Connect Church. And generations would know him. And could see it and here's the thing about this man is he is completely blind he's completely blind you can't see anything but he could see it not because I called him up one day and said hey but listen have you ever thought about giving us your estate this is the first conversation I've ever had it's not because I manipulated him we never talked about it or he was under compulsion to do so or forced to do so here's the deal you ready his affections were for Jesus he wanted to make sure that his resources his money his stuff went on to see that the generations would know him and God just moved in his heart to call me up one day and to do this and here's the deal he offered willingly we didn't barter we'd go back I was just like don't have to do this I want to. So we both cried together. And for a man who cannot see anything, man, he sees it better than most of us. Generations would know him. It's more generosity, it's more than just money and stuff. It's 
by committing our lives, offering them willingly for the Lord to use. Not just some of our life, but all of it. Today's Commitment Sunday. Somewhere in the seat around you, you have a, a pledge card. And here's what we've asked for this Sunday. Zach and the team are going to share a song that we launched on our Vision Sunday a, a few weeks ago. A song that at its heart says, God, you're more than able. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or think, imagine according to the work that is in us in Christ. And as a church family, we've asked you guys just to sit at the kitchen table and pray about what you want to give. Some of y'all are surprised this morning that this is happening. It's okay. We got a digital pledge card for you. But for others, you're ready to come down and go, look, we've sat as a family. We've counted the cost. It's time that we not give out of our wealth, but according to what God has blessed us with. And, and here in a moment, once the song starts, as the Lord leads you, we're just going to ask you to come and put your pledge card face down on the altar. You should pray over it. Now, if you're visiting with us today, remember this, all we're asking of you today, and by the way, since shared our vision four weeks ago over a hundred thousand dollars has been given from people who just sat in the service who were visitors but I'm going to tell you something at no point will we ever ask for that I'm asking you today to pledge your prayers and you're welcome to put your name down and write prayer inside of that blank and to bring it up here and to, and to put it down on the altar some of you connect churches your home and you're like Anthony I'm in a spot right now and financially, we can't commit to anything. But you can pledge to pray. And so if you, would you just write down your name, write in the blank prayers, just come and drop it off at the altar. At some point during the song, it's a six-minute song, so you can take your time. But I wonder if just maybe these next few moments can be a worship service that breaks out on a construction site in First Chronicles 29. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.